Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties, so plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make, but don't say we didn't warn you. This was a cuckoo choice. This was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I threw, I threw the gauntlet and you were like, hold my beer. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was like. It's uh, super weird. Uh huh. And it makes no sense. What do you mean it makes no sense? I mean, it makes some sense, but it just. It's a very straightforward narrative. Some bros are like, let's be poor. And then they're poor. And then some other people are like, hey, let's elope. And then that doesn't work out. And then there's some marriages. Like, that's. And also, like, yeah. beggars sing songs. Like, you're welcome. Podcast done. Check. We can go home now. Welcome to the Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts. Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock and together we are Whamlet and this week we are talking about Richard Broom's A Jovial Crew. It's great. It's gonna be great. Each week what we do here on this podcast is we discuss a different place sometimes with Shakespeare sometimes not and this week it's not Um, but it is definitely a 101 level episode. Yeah and that gives you introductory stuff all the things you need to know to have a basic understanding of the play and its major themes and other cool stuff you will get literally nowhere else like our opinions also i've been saying brome in my head this whole time so it's broom huh richard broom like sweeping i think so so i've never actually i've never heard anyone say it out loud okay um and then i went to dig up uh his biography such as it is and the phonetic spelling of his name made me think oh that it's Broom. So I got on Twitter and I was like, hey, Twitter, how do we say this name? Um, And I have two responses and one for each camp. So (laughs) um, great. But I think it's Broom. (laughs) Okay. I think it's Broom. It's just Um, one of those like deceptive English pronunciations like like John Dunn looks like Dawn, D-O-N-N-E, but it's pronounced Dunn. Yeah. Broom. Broom. Got it. Yeah. Or, you know. Ben Johnson looks like Johnson, but it's actually asshole. Right. Yeah. That one's really tricky. I do have most of a PhD, so like now I know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those secret <laughs> PhD school things that nobody teaches you until you get there. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. You're holding back the curtain for all of us. <laughs> Just let me draw back the veil and yes. reveal to you the inner workings of mm, the yes. Renaissance drama. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so this is a new guy for us. Uh, we've never talked about Mr. Broom before. So mm-hmm. we're going to meet the contemporary Richard Broom. This is your life. <laughs> JK, we don't know anything about this guy. Maybe he was born in 1590. Maybe he wasn't. The world will never know. Although the one portrait we have of him is pretty hilarious. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. It was on our Insta like a, yeah. a long time ago. I think I'll yeah. find that picture again and revive it, read 
share it or something because yeah, man is cute. it bad he's not he <laughs> nope. not a looker no um we definitely know that he worked with uh that asshole ben johnson that's yep. the thing we know about him yep maybe he had a wife and children maybe he didn't we will never know maybe he was an actor maybe he wasn't we'll never know he was probably super poor his whole life. And that seems to be, uh, from the reading that I did too, just partially an accident of timing. Like this poor mm-hmm. guy, his career started picking up right when one of the plagues hit London. Yeah. And then the theaters closed because the Puritans are terrible. Yeah. Like there was all kinds of stuff. Like he he should not have gone into the theater business. <laughs> no. He just shouldn't have. No, he was <laughs> like most of us, frankly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he was. Um, he wrote for most of the major plane companies in London. That is the thing that we know. Yep. And we definitely know that he died on September 24th, 1652. Mm-hmm. So there's that. He wrote 15 plays on his own. Plus, he collaborated with Haywood on the late Lancashire Witches of the plays that we know of that he wrote um probably the the one that's most well known is called the english moor um and then the one with the funniest title is called the asparagus garden yay (laughs) i have read neither of these plays we should definitely add it to the vegetable plays group oh right yeah yeah asparagus i'm assuming is asparagus i I hope one could hope the only thing i know about asparagus garden is that it has a stage direction that includes a kick and I know that because I tracked down every kick in a stage direction for That's my MFA thesis. You did. I remember. Yep. You I sure did. too. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. And that's that's everything we know. About that is what we know. Good old Richard Broom. Yep. All right. Before we jump into a summary, we're going to give you our five word unhelpful titles. Mine is Annoying Rich Kids Poverty Tourism. Yeah, uh, mine is The Simple Life, 1642 edition. I had to, when you texted me that, that it was yeah. The Simple Life, I yeah. had completely put that show out of my mind. I never watched it at the time me either. either. No, I've never seen a single episode. Because I hate Paris Hilton's guts. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was like, The Simple Life, The Simple Life, what is she talking about? Oh my God, she means that show about Paris Hilton and what's-her-face Nicole Richie roughing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, pretending to be poor yeah. for, for laughs, because being mm-hmm. poor is just full of lulls. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, it's my it's my favorite de- thing. Definitely not funny. Please really make great. sure, listeners, that you hear the sarcasm dripping uh-huh. from my tone. Uh-huh. Um, great. Okay, so we're going to give you the Dramatis Personae, but only the really important ones. And it's a lot of them this week. That's like a normal amount. Okay. Um, All right, so we're going to start with Old Rents, who is a landowner. He has two daughters. The eldest is named Rachel. Mariel is the youngest one. He's got a steward named Springlove. He also has a bro whose name is Hardy. He's got a servant named Randall. Uh, Then we have Vincent, who is a suitor to one of the Old Rents' daughters. Yep. And then Hilliard, who's another suitor to his daughter's. Yeah. It's not clear who is suiting who. Maybe they it's don't care. Clear. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe they're it's just going to flip a coin. It's not important. Yeah. yeah. Um, elsewhere in the the world, we have Justice Clack, who's a judge. Clack. <laughs> Sorry. Um, he has a son named Oliver. 
He also has a niece named Amy. And he has a clerk named Martin, who's nephew also to Mr. Hardy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, there are beggars and gentlemen and servants and other people generally rounding out Mm -hmm. the cast. There are a lot of beggars. A lot of beggars. There are a lot of beggars. Because this play is called A Jovial Crew, subtitle, or The Merry Beggars. Yep. So, lots of beggars. Yeah. Okay. So, Jess, why should this play be so goddamned popular? Because it's so fucking nonsensical. It's a just a delight. It's a romp. It's just a romp. It's just like some kids making some choices, going off into the countryside, having a bad time, falling in love, hanging out with beggars, singing songs, making plays. It's like it just it's fun. It's just fun. It's just fun. That's all. That's my entire pitch for this play is that it's fun. So it's uh it's summary time. So we're going to summarize a jovial crew for you in a segment that this week we're calling it's legit the simple life. But instead of Paris and Nicole, it's Richard Broom and his band of merry beggars because being a beggar is super fun and hilarious. Obviously. Nice. You're welcome. <laughs> All righty. In act one, Hardy and old rents are discussing the fortunes and futures of old rents, daughters, his heirs. An astrologer has predicted that they will be beggars. And old rents is concerned by this. Hardy reassures old rents that literally everyone loves him and he's never wronged anyone. So the astrologer must have gotten things wrong. The steward spring love enters to go over the account books with old rents. He tells old rents that the money chests are secured in old rents's closet because spring love is about to depart to ramble about in the countryside, observing the rights of May and paying homage to nature, blah, blah, whatever. Old rents disapproves that someone so pragmatic should indulge in such a silly ritual. Spring Love doesn't like disappointing old rents, but he has to take up the solitary life once a year so he can be his own master. Randall, who is another of old rents' servants, reports to Spring Love that a party of beggars lodging in their barn have been suitably fed and provided for, and Spring Love's charity is extraordinary. Spring Love worries over disappointing old rents by leaving, but is interrupted in his introspection by the beggars singing about how happy they are to have found food and shelter. Spring Love asks, Asks where the beggars are off to next, and after they ask him to be their leader, he says he'll meet them in the evening. The beggars sing. Act two. Vincent, Hilliard, Mariel, and Rachel are waxing poetic about what they see as the simple life of freedom enjoyed by the beggars. The boys try to tempt the girls with an excursion to get them away from the confines of Old Rent's house and their father's melancholy. Rachel and Mariel come up with the idea to pretend to be beggars and go ramble about the countryside. The boys agree because they have crushes on the girls. I mean, that's what you do. Springlove overhears their plans and tries to dissuade them. Springlove tells the girls their dad is sad because he heard a prophecy that they were going to be beggars. And this seems to the girls like a sign that they absolutely should go forward with their plan. But instead of it being a fun afternoon, they'll commit to it properly now. Springlove thinks this is a good sign and promises to help the girls in their new life as beggars. That was a 180. He reveals that he was born a beggar and that even now that he's well and securely employed, begging is what he loves and that's why he disappears every summer. The whole group agrees to follow where Springlove leads. Randall is salty that Springlove left him in charge. Hardy and Old Rents try to cheer him up. Old Rents tells Randall to go give the responsibility to one of his daughters. Randall brings back the news that the girls are gone. One of the beggars gives birth in the barn. Old Rents makes plans to celebrate the birth, but Randall says, mm, not to bother since the beggars are going to be on their way no later than tomorrow morning. The beggars sing and dance again. 
In Act 3, Vincent and Hilliard are not having a good time as beggars, but they don't want to let the ladies know. Rachel and Mariel are also not having a great time, but they don't want the boys to know. Springlove reminds the company that none of them have actually done any begging yet, since Springlove is the one who secured the food and lodging so far. Two gentlemen come past them and beat them when they try to beg. The gentlemen meet their fellow Oliver and exchange news of the local judge's niece, Amy, who was supposed to marry Tallboy yesterday, but instead eloped with Martin, her uncle's clerk. Rachel and Muriel ask Oliver for assistance. Oliver gives the girls money and then tries to rape them. They're rescued by the return of the boys. The eloped Martin and Amy come through and meet the group. Springlove offers to take them to an unscrupulous curate who will marry them immediately. Amy is nervous but goes along with the plan. Act 4. Tallboy is whining that Amy has left him. He and Oliver turn up at Old Rent's house because Hardy is Martin's uncle and they think Hardy will have news of where the couple has gone to. Oliver explains the situation to Hardy and Old Rent's. Hardy doesn't know where Martin is. They all go in to dinner. Rachel, Mariel, and Amy are outside a beggar wedding and complaining of the noise. They talk about how spring love has taken a shine to Amy, and now she also has a crush on him. Didn't she just get married? No. She also she doesn't have any great feeling for Martin. She would have left with anyone to get away from Tallboy. Aha. Amy and Springlove decide they want to get married. Springlove is apprehended by the watch, and Amy is found out. In Act 5, the judge forgives Martin for stealing away with Amy. The watch tell the judge that they found Amy in the company of beggars. Martin tells Tallboy that Amy's fallen in love with one of the beggars. The daughters, their boyfriends, Amy and Springlove, along with a company of beggars, are collected at the judge's house, where Old Rents and Hardy have also arrived. The beggars offer to put on a play for the gentlemen, and oops, it's literally the tale of the runaway daughters and their boys. One of the beggars <laughs> reveals that Springlove is actually Old Rents' secret son! The judge consents to let Amy marry him, and the daughters are welcomed home the end what so many revelations and twists and turns yep this play is goofy this is really goofy it is now time for a taste of text in which we read a small but crucial portion of the play to give you a little bit of its flavor. Um, Jess, you've suggested the prologue and or the epilogue. I think that's fine. Great. Which would you prefer? Or maybe both? I mean, it's like 40 lines total, so sure. Okay. Would you like to read the prologue or the epilogue? No, I'll read the epilogue. Okay, cool. I've got the prologue. All right, so... Prologue. The title of our play, A Jovial Crew, may seem to promise mirth, which were a new and forced thing in these sad and tragic days, for you to find or we express in plays. We wish you then would change that expectation, since jovial mirth is now grown out of fashion, or much not to expect, for now it chances our comic writer finding that romances of lovers through much travel and distress till it be thought no power can redress the afflicted wanderers, though stout chivalry lend all his aid for their delivery, till lastly some impossibility concludes all strife and makes a comedy, finding, he says, such stories bear the sway. Nor, as he could, he has composed a play of fortune-tellers, damsels, and their squires, exposed to strange adventures through the briars of love and fate. But why need I forestall what what shall soon be obvious to you all? But wish the dullness may make no man sleep, nor sadness of it any woman weep. Damn, that parenthetical in the middle was really long. Mm. (laughs) Sorry. 
Okay, and now, Jess, the epilogue. Take it away. The epilogue is spoken by Spring Love. So, just to set the stage for y'all. Awesome. A begging epilogue yet would be, methinks, improper to this comedy. Though we are now no beggars of the crew, we count it not a shame to beg of you. The justice here has given his free has given his pass free to all the rest unpunished. Only we are under censure till we do obtain your suffrages that we may beg again. And often in the course we took today, which was intended for your mirth, a play, not without action and a little wit. Therefore we beg your pass for us and it. Ta-da! <laughs> the end. I wonder who speaks the prologue. Uh, like, whoever's available, probably. Right, yeah. But I mean, that's everybody at the top of the play, nearly. Yeah. Right? So, like, I guess, well, we that just put a, you know, if you were going to do this play, put that B in your bonnet. Who yeah. would you want to read it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's actually a really good taste of the text because Broom's poetry is kind of terrible yeah it's kind of no it's not great it's kind of clunky lots of enjambment which i find annoying Mm -hmm. for poetry Mm -hmm. uh, for rhyming poetry um yeah so there it is it's not the best um give us some give us some tips and tidbits and scholarly things to know about this play jess there's not much to know about this play (laughs) it doesn't have a lot of critical history you've never heard of it no one's ever heard of it had not no um it's just fun. It's just fun. Uh, however, in her Arden introduction of the play, because, yeah, there's there's an Arden edition of this play. So it's well uh, known enough yeah. to warrant an Arden edition. By no less a person than the great Tiffany Stern. Um, <gasps> oh, swoon. Yeah, she, she did the, the edition. Um, oh, my gosh. So she suggests... She, 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 she suggests that the play is extraordinarily Johnsonian because Richard Broom had been Johnson's servant and playwriting apprentice in his youth, Mm. which is just a delightful thing that I'm happy to know about. Um, (laughs) The style of the play itself is an homage to Johnson and borrows content from Johnson's mask, The Gypsies Metamorphosed. Um, Other Johnsonian influences are his plays, uh, The Staple of News, A Tale of a Tub, and Every Man in His Humor. Uh, the play also draws on a Bowfletch play called The Beggar's Butch, which is very similar, um, and a 1623 collab between Decker, Ford, Middleton, and Rowley, The Spanish Gypsy, uh, also feeds into Jovial Crew. Um, so there's a lot, there are a lot of similar plays out there. Uh, this, this is in the, the rogue category of plays where you have a beggar or a rogue or a, a literal or rogue whoever. gotcha yes yeah i yeah, was yeah. taking that figuratively at first and i was like where does he go rogue in this no, no, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> the people yeah. the people yes. become rogues got plays, it plays about rogues got it um, the play was first performed in 1642 right before the playhouse is closed Damn. uh but it was not printed until 1652 so a decade later mm-hmm. um right which kind of makes sense if you remember that the playhouses were closed and yep nobody was seeing plays or Yep. Wanting to read them, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was, you know, right during the interregnum, the time Mm -hmm. between the reigns, right? When England was ruled by the Commonwealth and not, no king. Uh, Charles Mm -hmm. I had been relieved of his head. Mm. They were like, you're not using this anymore. We'll just, we'll, you know, we'll take away the burden of you having to carry it. Thanks, Cromwell. Yeah. That's... 
Well, that's that's about what I have to say about this play. Uh, if you know things about rogue culture, there's a whole um, a whole subculture uh, in early modern England of like vagabonds and beggars and rogues mm-hmm. and traveling people uh, that have their own specific language called cant. Um, and there's some of that language in the play. Um, and that's pretty interesting. But uh, if you are not familiar with the the historical context it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah so yeah how do you spell that language can't can't c-a-n-t oh okay like just like it sounds without the apostrophe yep gotcha okay yep okay that actually makes a whole lot of sense because there are some funkadelic words that i did not recognize while i was reading this and i was like wow that is deeply idiomatic what the fuck do those words mean it's because it, it's can't uh-huh. it's the it's the rogue language okay um it's like you know in um snatch when yeah. brad pitt speaks the pikes yes that yeah it's like that it's that would i yeah. think be a, a pretty modern um the, the teeth and pikes yep yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> uh awesome yeah it's english but it's it's like a whole separate language yeah. it's like you know uh well anyway it's like, like a lot of things it's like yeah it's like yeah. pigeon it's yeah fascinating uh, yeah yeah i took a, a whole class on uh early modern english pop culture and the the subculture of rogues was took up a significant portion of the first yeah part of that class and we read there's a sort of like the, the guy who wrote the book on rogues mm-hmm. um is uh, harman somebody harman um and the book is called a book pamphlet tract it's not really a book called caveat for common cursitors and it more or less is just a giant glossary of the words that um the these these people use and then also every single type of vagabond so like you'll have you have all the man types and then all the women types and like it's a different type if they're going to come into your house and steal your clothes off your body while you're sleeping or if they're going to do it through the window <laughs> like <laughs> those are two separate categories and they have their own Weird. Um, it's, yeah it's kind of like i when i read it i compared it to an anthropological survey except yeah. that this guy like is not an anthropologist and is just like i was I just travel a lot, y'all, and I interviewed a bunch of people, but I'm not going to tell you their names. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything about them. So it's I was sitting there like, so you just made this all up. Like, where's your credibility, man? Like, cite your yeah. sources. And like, so um, that or long. he that or he was a vagabond and didn't want to rat out his people. Yeah. I mean, there's I a pretty strong a culture lord, even so. now of like nomadic types not mm-hmm. being very very tight, you know, yeah. and and tight-lipped. Yes. So maybe that? But yes. oh, okay, so he was a lord. He was slumming it I, like like yeah, the people in this yeah. play. Yeah. I mean, he might not have been a lord, but he was certainly um he was he was well above the okay. the rogue class. Um Got it. Yeah, Thomas Harmon, maybe is his first name. If you are interested in learning more about early modern rogue culture. Well, I am um, now. Yeah, Caveat for Common Cursitors is is the early modern text on the subject. Um, but Derek Dunn, 
uh, has written quite extensively about uh, con- not conspiracies, forgery. Is there a C word for forgery? Counterfeit? Counterfeit. Thank you. That's that's the <laughs> word I was looking for. <laughs> um, counterfeit C, counterfeiting. Uh-huh. those kinds of practices uh oh. and rogue practices and uh he's got a book that is on my shelf Derek what's the name of your book Shakespeare Revenge Tragedy and Early Modern Law is oh. the name of his book I wonder if you know uh or if it says in tiffany's introduction or Mm -hmm. whatever to the to the play um how much the uh the vagabond acts that queen elizabeth the first had signed into law during her time how much those were still you know in effect or if they'd Mm -hmm. been replaced by by other laws later um during during the jacobean period uh or carolinian Carolinian, thank you. <laughs> I was like, states, states, which one? Ah. Um, yeah, yeah, during during uh, those periods. I don't know. There's nothing in the introduction that's obvious okay. that would point to it, but maybe this section on politics? So while you're looking, just to let the people know, um, Queen Elizabeth signed into law uh, a couple of acts in, I believe, the 1570s. At least one of them was in the 1570s, uh, basically making it, you know, a, a crime to be a vagabond. Um, and in that, you know, actors uh, and other performers kind of fell into a weird gray area in that classification, um, which necessitated the whole like need for uh, co- acting companies to have a patron. Right. Um, so so that was all kind of bundled up during her time. But I wonder with these rogues mm-hmm. in, you know, how much yeah, that was a deal. She didn't mention it at all. Okay. Um, all of everything focuses <laughs> on like post 1630. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Elizabeth is super dead. Super dead by then. Super, yeah. super dead. Yeah. 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 Um, if anybody knows though, if anybody has any insight on the, the vagabond and um, beggar laws of I mean, Derek this, will. right of the uh, you know early 1600s um, that would be interesting to know to compare maybe or see if they had any kind of effect um, oh yeah or Derek's, just refer to Derek's book see if his book has anything nah nothing no it's not gonna be not Bummer. gonna be anything in here that'll, All right. that'll let us know well, that's okay. I'm just putting that out there, I guess. It was a, a question I had while I was reading this. Um, speaking of trying to read this play, uh, <laughs> do your table work if you're going to produce this play. Just, like, sit down yep. and don't do what I did and try to, like, rush through because you're going to confuse the bejesus out of yourself. Yep. Um, do your table work. Figure out those words, those can't idioms. Also, uh, Brome, just like his idol Ben Johnson, throws random characters at you at sort of random times. Like, he introduces new people sort of weirdly. Um, so you got to keep track of them. So there's that. Uh, there's for the musical lovers amongst us, there's a lot of singing and dancing and cavorting in general in this play. So that's fun. Um, and to my knowledge, not any extant music with it. So you kind of, you could compose your own. Yes. No. Check that appendix. Thank God for Tiffany Stern. She's got a whole appendix on songs. Um, okay. Yeah, it looks like some, there's some excellent music, like 
Okay. Okay. So there is some, there is some music, but of course, like, you know, make your choices. You don't have to follow them if you don't want to. Um, But in that art in addition, you definitely could and see what comes up out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's lots of singing, lots of dancing, um, lots of vocal work in general for your actors to do. Um, Since in the online uh, link you sent me to read Mm -hmm. this, Jess, there were Mm -hmm. some editorial stage directions that said something like so-and-so uses their beggar voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff like that. So um, you've got the the annoying rich kids affecting beggarness through yep. their voices, and like, what the fuck does a beggar sound like? Um, mm-hmm. Which like all of that is deeply offensive. It's fine. Um, there's uh, also a play within a play, which, as we know, are always fun, mm-hmm. always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of fun stuff to stage uh, here and. You know, though this is written as a comedy and it is very silly, um, I think you could actually get some really good mileage using this play as social commentary. Uh, This is rich people behaving badly and appropriating things that are not theirs in ways that are not unfamiliar to today's audiences, you might say. Um, And you can definitely use this play to point that out. I I think, though, the only way to do that is you've got to be you, the company performing it, have to be serious. You have to take it seriously Mm -hmm. and not parody it while you do it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, let the moments be funny if they if they end up being funny. I'm not saying like you have to not be funny, but um, don't don't do that ironic sneering thing that sometimes is tempting you know and play this play because it's old and weird don't play it like a parody you need to take it seriously like a real theatrical piece and like do it justice and then let what happens happens and let how people react let them react how they react um Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. i do think it would piss a lot of people off i think given the right circumstances this is almost brechtian in how offensive it is (laughs) And, like, making people feel alienated and enraged. So there's that, just kind of living there, because it's 2020 and the world is on fire. Um, mm. So those are those are my thoughts while, while going through this play. Um, yeah, so do you want to play a quick game? That I, I just made up? Game. I love okay, this great. game and I want to play it. Okay, great. Cool. So we just made up a brand new game. It's called BYO Crew. The question is, if you had to set out and start a new life, who would be your jovial crew? And you get to choose five people, shall we say, from history not living? Or shall do you want to limit it to living I, and, you know, and not living? The only way I want to limit it is that they have to be people that our listeners will know. Like, I can't say, I would take my friend Sarah. Sure. Sure. Okay. So it needs to be, it needs to be relatively known and names at least amongst our listeners. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, cool. Um, do you, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do like you do, you name your five and I'll name my five. Let's go. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, great. Um, now in the play, they, the, the group of beggars has like everyone in the crew has a specialty. So that's kind uh-huh. of what I was thinking about. There's like, okay. there's like a lawyer and a writer and a mm-hmm. whatever. I don't want to put rules on you and who you would choose mm-hmm. in your crew, but I'm mm-hmm. going to choose people that are useful to me in the apocalypse. So <laughs> like, who do I need? And first of all, I need to know what I bring so that I can work around that. <sighs> okay. So my first person I would bring is someone who can kick 
but, because I don't do that very well, um, and that would be The Rock. I think I would want I would want to bring oh, The Rock. Oh, <laughs> that's smart. I in was my jovial that, crew. I was like, I want someone who's like Bear Grylls, but not Bear Grylls. I don't want to <laughs> fuck Bear Grylls. And I want someone who's like Bear Grylls, but who I would want to fuck. And also fuckable when you're yeah, bored? Yeah, that's The sure. Rock. Yeah. Um, too um, bad. He's on my team. Too? Okay, I can't have a rock too. Um, yeah, this is like picking teams, man. You can't have yeah. the same person. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, then I'm going to keep thinking about that slot and I'm going to get out ahead of you Whoa. for my next pick, um, which is Emma Thompson. Ugh. And what in, in your in your crew, what does she bring to your crew? Literally everything. She's Emma Thompson. I mean, okay, that's fair. <laughs> I'm going to need to start like writing this stuff that down. Further. She's, okay. she's perfect in every way. Uh, Dame. Emma Thompson. Awesome. So. Yes. Um, I would want, let's see. I've got my, I've got my warrior. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> um, so now I need someone with a science brain because I can't do that very well either. So I would want, we said living or dead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is her name Catherine Johnson? The Hidden Figures the, Lady. Oh, yeah. She just died. Yeah. She did just yeah. die. Yeah. R.I.P. But I, yeah. I want her. I want her on my team. Love it. Love that for you. Um, I'm going to get me that nice Abraham Lincoln. Okay. The frontiersman. Uh-huh. Politician. Yep. Heart of gold. Love Shakespeare. Yep, what else that's true. What I mean, you guys would have a lot to talk about given your thesis, particularly. Sweet. You would. You really would. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, okay. I want... Is it weird that I want to bring Tiffany Stern? <laughs> nope, not weird at all. I want Tiffany Stern on my team. She's delightful. Um, I want Tiffany Haddish. <gasps> yes i mean great. sad for me but great for your crew yeah. she yeah. is a riot yeah well because she's fun and funny and unendingly positive and yes. also knows how to make her way in the world true and i feel like those are valuable skills true in yeah in a crew a jovial crew yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> make that crew jovial absolutely yep um Okay, 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 okay. I find it funny that neither of us has named Shakespeare yet. I don't want Shakespeare in my crew. I, what the I fuck is that guy going to do? <laughs> I know, right? I was like, you know, it's one thing to like want to meet somebody who's dead. Yeah. It's quite another to have them in your apocalyptic, jovial crew. I so. mean, if I'm going to have to have an early modern playwright in this, like, it's Marlowe, duh, homie's a spy, like... Oh, he's got sure. my back. <laughs> See, I would say Middleton because he's so versatile and hilarious. Well, sure. That wasn't my choice. That wasn't my choice. Nope. Not yet. Okay, nope. okay. Nope. Um, oh, you know who I want? Who do you want? I need to bring a musician. I need to bring okay. an artist okay. to take that to relieve myself of the burden of needing to be like the creator. Sure. So <laughs> I'm bringing Brandon Boyd from Incubus. Also very fuckable. And I've loved him forever. 
like forever. It's my favorite band. I wish if I, I could bring the whole band, I would. But it, it, since I can't, I will bring Brandon and that will yeah. be great. Okay, this is a deep cut and I think not a person you're going to know. Okay. Um, his name is Josh Scherer uh, and he is a pseudo celebrity chef. I say pseudo because he's on YouTube. Gotcha. Um, but he is hilarious and so fuckable uh, mm. and is like super into CrossFit. So also he can like kick some major ass. Sure, sure. Um, and is doing right now on his youtube channel um uh, like quarantine cooking hacks cute so homie can make anything with what he's got uh and i feel like those are valuable skills those are um, very valuable skills so josh what sharer s-c-h-e-r-e-r mm-hmm. okay okay he's also now. uh if you need to tag him for anything he's at mythical chef josh oh yeah cute yeah cute um okay so i've got the muscle i've got Mm -hmm. the brains i've got more brains and i've got the music and the art covered you know who i want macgyver (laughs) uh fictional character um who's a real life macgyver adam savage who in the world is that from mythbusters okay then i'll take him sure because he seems like a multi-talented dude yeah also he's funny yeah need that definitely need that brandon boyd is only funny when he's high so (laughs) (laughs) which is all the time but still okay last pick for you i mean how do you choose i know right it's really hard all right so now i'm thinking by orgy rules (laughs) Because you know that's what's going to happen in the apocalypse. So it's me, Emma sure. Thompson, Tiffany uh-huh. Haddish, Abraham Lincoln, and Mythical <laughs> Chef Josh. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I feel like I need another guy just to, like, balance the numbers. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and someone maybe a little on the more mature side. Mm. Yeah. For... Because Lincoln's dead. Yeah. And Emma Thompson, I think, is just about in her 70s. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, she's in her, I think she's in her 60s, but still, yes. But like late 60s. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to go with President Barack Hussein Obama. <gasps> nice. Because. Two politicians for you. Okay. Well, I, he is fuckable AF. Which is like the number one qualification for an apocalypse orgy crew. Um, yeah. Uh, he is so smart. He is so well read. He yep. is funny. He yep. got the moves. He's got that nice dad bod. Like, I is what, what is. Yeah. I hear you. You know? I hear you. And you know what? I think he and Abraham Lincoln would get along really well. Oh, they absolutely. Like, he would get along with this whole crew. I think he would. Whole I think crew. he would. He seems like an affable guy. Yeah. yeah. Plus, like, Obama knows everybody, so he will have stories. That's true. That's true. Some stories to keep you keep you occupied. Yeah. I mean Lincoln's stories too, but only about like Stephen Clay Douglas, which like who cares about that guy? (laughs) Is that even his name? Yes. 
So to recap, my team is The Rock, Katherine Johnson, Tiffany Stern, Brandon Boyd, and Adam Savage. Great. And, and Jess's team is... Emma Thompson, Tiffany Haddish, Abraham Lincoln, Mythical Chef Josh, and Barack Obama. Amazing. That's Sorry, cool. Michelle. Those are some those are some jovial crews. Yeah. Those are pretty fucking great. I love it. I love it. Uh, All right. Let's yay. Stop and get the okay. Yes. All right. So I saw this lovely thing on uh, on Twitter today from uh, the Ox Fraud account. They have a. They've had this page. They've had this website for quite a while now. Um, but they apparently there's some kind of Earl of Oxford. Oh, it was the guy. The his last name is Looney. Published oh, yeah, his thing about the Earl of Oxford a hundred years ago this year. Yeah. Um, JT so Looney. they yeah so they tweeted the thing about hey go to our website and watch us debunk all of this so if you want you know layman friendly language uh, debunking the Oxford or Edward De Vere what we call the Oxfordian theory uh, it's at oxfraud.com and it's pretty great amazing um, yeah <clears throat> next thing I am very excited about in this age of coronavirus where no one can leave their homes and and yet we still want entertainment. Um, Hidden Room Theater in Austin, some years ago, did 2014. a... 2014. did a puppet Hamlet, which we've probably mentioned at least once on this pod yeah. at some point. Um, the German name is Der Berstrafter Brudermord, uh, and it's a puppet Hamlet. They did it in collaboration with Tiffany Stern. Mm-hmm. They are resurrecting it from their vault. It is streaming for free and we will put the link up on the landing page for this episode the it's the puppet hamlet you never knew you wanted and it's so good it's so so good good. it's so good yeah so like watch it everybody just watch it yeah i sent it out to my cohort here last night and i was like do yourselves a favor like hot damn Hot damn. I also saw a really cool link uh, from uh, theguardian.com a couple days ago. Oh, you don't believe it? You just don't care. Okay. But say what it is, and then I can say why I don't care. There is a newly revealed uh, collaborator, a guy named Thomas Watson, who, who is given major attribution to uh, particularly Arden of Faversham, but some other plays as well. He's getting some co-writing credit for several collaborations with Shakespeare and other early modern playwrights. So we will throw that link up as well. Mm-hmm. And Jess um, gives zero fucks about it because... Zero fucks because authorship studies, as interesting as it is, does not change the way that we receive the plays. Sure. Okay. So that's that's it. I just Gary find it Taylor interesting that they convince me that unearth this guy matters than no one can. So, okay. I mean, I think it's really interesting, but uh, it does not it does not change the the texts that we have. So, I no. don't see why it matters. It doesn't change them um, except that we had previously thought Arden of Faversham was either Shakespeare or partially Shakespeare or anonymous, right? So, giving another author finding another author for that play in particular was kind of interesting hmm. and like finding out who he was. I don't yeah. know. I get what you're saying. It's interesting. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. affect how much I like or dislike yeah. Arden of Faversham. Yeah. But okay. What's your gossip? 
Um, so Daniel Pollock Pelsner, I just totally murdered his name, Pelsner, that's how you say okay. it, is a professor at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon. Go Wildcats, except not Linfield Wildcats bag my groceries. What's up, motherfuckers? Uh, they were our rivals. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Um, talk about talk not, about a deep cut. Yeah, it's not important. It's, uh, just Great. anyway. Um, so you know the the whole thing's been going around Twitter, like, uh, you know what Shakespeare did during the plague? He wrote King yeah. Lear. So right. like, um, he has written an article called "What Shakespeare Actually Did During the Plague," uh, and it's quite funny. Yeah, it's hilarious, yeah, and it sort of pokes back at like you don't have to be productive right now. This is not, yeah. you didn't just get magic free time. That's not what is happening. So, um, and then the brand new Rutledge anthology of early modern drama is out yes. this week. Um, and it's, it's something. Let me tell you, let me tell you. Isn't it edited by that nice Jeremy Lopez? It is in fact edited by that nice Jeremy Lopez. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, brand new anthology of early modern drama, as um, our listeners will know what that is. Uh, but it includes some greatest hits, like uh, Duchess of Malfi is in here, and uh, Famous Victories of Henry V, which is a, a fairly important play, um, if not fairly popular. Faustus is in here as well. But then a bunch of, like, not ever anthologized stuff um like an anonymous play called look about you which was mm -hmm. edited by our friend paul menzer yeah um and a play that i have literally never heard of called the picture by philip massinger um which was edited by lucy monroe who is not our friend but she could be <laughs> love <laughs> if lucy monroe was my friend um, Women Beware Women also gets a shout in here. It's a Middleton play, which is frequently anthologized. Uh, Fair Maid of the Exchange, which was edited by Jenny Love. Um, sea Voyage by Fletcher and Massinger, which is coming up on this podcast next week. Yay! Uh, and that's edited by our friend Claire Bourne. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's cool. It's, there's some, it's, there's there's some interesting stuff happening in this uh, anthology. It's also hugely affordable. The paperback version is thirty five dollars. Like, yeah, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, for an like, anthology like that, get on that. Um, yeah. I do hope that the print version looks different than the ebook version. I am not impressed with the ebook version. I think it's really really difficult to read, and I would never give it to my undergrads. But I have not seen a, a print yeah. copy, so I don't I don't know what the print copy looks like but i hope it's i hope it's better yeah um anyway it's got nice tight introductions to each play they're like two two and a half pages so it's a, a nice easy read um and brings i think into the conversation some exciting plays that we don't talk about a lot yeah so that's exciting yeah get Super your hands exciting. on it yeah get your hands on it right and uh, without any further ado, that's it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started. Tune in next week for the Sea Voyage. Whamlet out. With a special guest, right? With a special oh, yeah. guest. Yeah, with sea a special voyage. guest. With a special guest. Yeah. Uh, we're excited. And it's you'll be excited. Yeah, we are. Too. We're not going to tell yeah. you who, but it's someone that you know, and she's awesome. So, yeah. The end. <laughs> Woohoo. <laughs> Whamlet out. Whamlet out. 
If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave us a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes and other fun stuff, visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. You can email us at holla at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or hurlyburlyshake on Twitter. Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. Sounds like half the people I went to UC Santa Cruz with, frankly. Like the rich kids who wander off into the forest and decide to become tree people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like rough it while they're in school. Yep. That's. Uh, If any of my fellow slug alums are listening, you know what I'm talking about.